Shabbat Shalom and welcome. I'm Ross and I'm happy to be here with you today. Uh, thanks for joining our Saturday morning scripture study. I really appreciate your time and I'm excited to get into the content of today's class. What a special day to gather together this morning uh, and I think most of you are aware of that. By the way, if you're watching this live, I want you to stick around after the class because we have a Zoom call where we're going to discuss this, and that's your opportunity to bring your questions, comments, thoughts about the class, thoughts about this day. You know, Josephus talked about the seventh month being a holy month, and, and by the way, that is also uh, something that we encounter in the biblical text. So we are going to talk about that. We're going to get into all of uh, the different views that I think many of you are probably aware of. Today on the Jewish calendar, for instance, the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month, uh, is considered the Jewish New Year. So we're going to entertain that. We're going to talk about where does that idea come from. Uh, but we're also going to talk about, maybe touch a little bit on different calendars. So some of you might have went outside at sunset last night and looked up into the sky for the appearance of the thin crescent moon. And when you did not see it because the illumination was too low, and it was, you said, then it's not the seventh month, the first day of the month yet. So like many of the other moon watchers out there, if it's fair and okay to call you that, you're looking again this evening because whenever the first day of the seventh month strikes, that's when the seventh month begins, and so these fall festivals can begin as well. But because of the special sanctity of the seventh month, today's class has importance for uh, many people Many people uh, find this day and this month very special in many ways, uh, people of the book, whether they are in a form of Judaism or, like many of you might be, non-Jews, people drawn from the nations who have attached yourselves to the traditions of the people of Israel, as we find in the Hebrew Bible. But uh, either way, for all of us, the seventh month has become, in some ways, based on the text of the Hebrew Bible, particularly the Pentateuch, uh, it is somewhat of a holy of holies of the calendar, the seventh month. That doesn't mean that we don't have festive occasions, festivals, feasts, and other, uh, other times, other months, but the seventh month in particular is considered by many to be the holiest month, the fall festivals, as we say, fall in the seventh month. Now today, again, is the, uh, per Judaism, is on the Jewish calendar, is the first day of the seventh month, referred to as Rosh Hashanah. Now, I'm not going to get into, in my class, things such as whether or not you should dip apples in honey. Those traditional elements, those things that you might find great value in, are not really going to figure into uh, what I'm going to talk about today because my class is focused only 
on the biblical side of things. What does the Bible say <clears throat> about the first day and the seventh month? But again, to Judaism, this is called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, as many know, means the head of the year, the head of the year. So it is a new year. Notice I said a new year, because according to the Talmud in Rosh Hashanah, 1-1, tractate Rosh Hashanah, the uh, Rosh Hashanah that we are now in, according to the Jewish calendar, is one of four uh, Jewish New Years. It is, according to traditional views, and I will touch a few of these things, it's the beginning of everything. In fact, there are passages in Jewish literature that say that this is the beginning of the world, that creation actually began in the seventh month. And there's been much that has been written. I know I've read quite a bit. I know many of you have of this duality, this dual system, this dual calendar system where you have a uh, sort of a religious calendar and a secular calendar. And people talk about that's the civil calendar. The civil calendar begins in the seventh month and so forth and so on. And I can guarantee you one thing. If anyone ever asked Moses, are we talking about the civil calendar or the religious calendar, he would not have a clue as to what that means. All of that stuff comes much, much later, and a lot of it is a result of the diaspora and so forth. But we're not going to get into that either. Where we're going to focus our energy is on the first day of the seventh month as the biblical text presented, what do we know? What do we do? How do we keep the first day of the seventh month? It is, after all, one of those days listed in Vayikra, in Leviticus 23, as a, uh, uh, a mikra kodesh, we're going to talk about that term, a, a holy convocation I believe is the way the authorized English, the best of the English translations call it. Uh, it. It literally means what is called holy. A mikra, mikra, what is called, kodesh is holy. It's a holy convocation. Uh, convocation. It is not biblically referred to as Rosh Hashanah. It's not, at least in the Pentateuch. In fact, um, we only, uh, I, I've heard this so many times, I, I have to tell you. <clears throat> I've heard people say, and I've read it in writing, that the phrase Rosh Hashanah is not even a biblical term. And I get the point when people say that, but it actually is. Rosh Hashanah actually does appear in the Bible it doesn't appear in the Pentateuch. It doesn't have anything to do, at least as far as we can tell, with the first day of the seventh month. But it does appear. The phrase does appear in the book of Ezekiel. So I want you to go with me first thing, since it is the first day of the seventh month on the Jewish calendar, and a lot of people call it Rosh Hashanah. Let's kick it off with the one passage in the Bible, Ezekiel 40 and verse 1 the one passage in the Bible that does have this phrase in Hebrew, Ezekiel 40 and verse 1, 
<clears throat> in the 25th year of our exile, so you could date this, at the beginning of the year, ah, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the city was taken, on this very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me there. And he goes on to talk about visions. Ezekiel tells the story about how he is carried, uh, he's transported by the hand of Jehovah, as it says, to the city. Now, he's in Babylon, but he's brought into uh, the city, meaning Jerusalem. And as you know, Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, see my mind's on Isaiah. By the way, we're going to kick, we're going to resume that back next week. If some of you logged on to watch the Isaiah series, I should have told you. That's not it. It's next week. But Ezekiel is brought from Babylon in a vision to uh, Jerusalem. And this begins chapter 40 through 48, quite an interesting uh, vision that Ezekiel has of a, a new temple and so forth. But one of the things that I want to bring up is whenever we look at this, uh, again, we can date it. <clears throat> there are a few clues that uh, cause us to ask a question. Number one, it does say that it is at the beginning of the year, but what does that mean in this particular passage? What does Rosh Hashanah mean? Because it is the 10th day of the month. Now, is the 10th of any month considered the head of the year? Well, there are people who've come up with different ideas about why that would say that on the 10th. And quite honestly, I think that all of those points that I have read are long on speculation and short on evidence. Um, but there's another dating question. Uh, I guess, difficulty here, but I'm not going to get into it, but I will point it out for those of you who want extra credit and you want to look at this on your own time. It talks about on the day, uh, it says the 14th year after the city was taken. That phrase, where the city was taken, is used in one other passage only. It happens to be in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel 33. So if you really want to pursue that and try to drill down on this, some of you love the dates and the calendars, and uh, quite frankly, you like math better than I do. We're not going to get into that today. But Rosh Hashanah, if anyone says Rosh Hashanah is not even in the Bible, you say, oh, <clears throat> but yes, it is. It's Ezekiel chapter 40 and verse 1. Where I really want to focus and where I will get to is uh, on passages related to other holy days, and other holy days to occur in the seventh month. So it's not just the first day of the seventh month. As we mentioned at the outset, the seventh month becomes sort of a, uh, a, a holy of holies when we talk about the holy days on the Hebrew calendar. For instance, the first day of the seventh month we're going to talk about what it's called, but I'll skip over it for the moment. The 10th day of the seventh month, we are told, is Yom HaKippurim. Now, notice I said Kippurim. It's plural. Like well, a lot of times, if you have a Jewish calendar or you, you read something online or in a book, a lot of people talk about Yom Kippur, but the 10th day, biblically, of the seventh month is known as Yom HaKippurim. 
where Kippur is atonement, but it's in the plural, the day of atonements. And then, of course, also in the seventh month, beginning on the 15th day, for seven days is Chag HaSukot, the festival, if you will, of the booths or the tabernacles. And of course, also on the, in the seventh month, you have the first day and the eighth day of the seventh month are also called Mikra Kodesh. They are holy days as well. So the seventh month is full of holy days, and it's kicked off on the first with the first of those. Now, uh, when we look at the biblical records of Yom HaKippurim, we look at Chag HaSukot, we have an idea not only of what those days, we know more. We know more about what they are and what they represent. And I think most of you know that. Obviously, Yom HaKippurim, uh, that is the day in which atonements are made for the people of Israel. And when you look at Chag HaSukot, it is to remind of the wilderness, the time when the people of Israel dwelled in temporary dwellings. But the question becomes, what do we know about how we are to keep the first day of the seventh month and what that actually uh, represents, if anything? Okay, we only have two texts. There are only two texts in the Pentateuch which are related to the first day of the seventh month. The first one is in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 23, we're going to go there. Go with me to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23. Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 23. Um, And it says, Speak to the sons of Israel, uh, speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have, the English of the NASB says, you shall have a rest, a reminder of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, whatever that is, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. All right, so again, the Hebrew phrase that kicks this off in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, that exact phrase is used in the other uh, place where the first day of the seventh month occurs. It's exactly like that. We're going to go there in just a moment. Uh, I'm not going there yet, but one is it's in Numbers chapter 29. We'll go there in just a moment. But in the Hebrew, this particular um, day, is referred to as a Shabbaton Zikron Teruah. Shabbaton Zikron Teruah. Now, Shabbaton occurs 10 times in the Tanakh. It occurs only in all 10 times. It's only in the Pentateuch, and it's only in Exodus and Leviticus. Now, how many of you have heard of that phrase, a Shabbaton? Uh, It is often understood to be a high Sabbath. Some translations will call it a a high Sabbath, sort of a 
Sabbath of Sabbaths. So the seventh month, the first day of the month, is referred to as a Shabbaton, one of ten. Now here's the way that breaks down uh, if you look at it in the Hebrew Bible. Of the ten occurrences, the weekly Sabbath, just your regular Shabbat, is referred to as a Shabbaton. All right, four times, four of the ten. Um, the Yom HaKippurim, what we call the Day of Atonements, is referred to twice in the Hebrew Bible as a Shabbaton. Uh, the sabbatical year is referred to as a Shabbaton. And the first day of the seventh month is, uh, again, that's the text we're dealing with here. And then the first and eighth day of Chag HaSukot are referred to as Shabbaton. Again, is it, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit in the discussion after. Is, is Shabbaton a high Sabbath or a Sabbath of Sabbaths? If it is, think about the distribution. Very interesting what is and what is not referred to as Shabbaton. It's also, remember, Shabbaton Zikron Teruah. So Zikron, Zikron occurs 22 times in the Hebrew Bible, most of which are in the Pentateuch. So we find it eight times in Exodus, one time in Leviticus, and five times in Numbers. And we have to go through all of this to figure out what it is that the seventh month, the first day of the month, means, and what do we do? So we're just going through the, the words right now. It's a Shabbaton, a Zikron Teruah. Now, as I work through this, Zikron means a reminder or a memorial. Reminder or memorial. So, like, because it's based on the root word Zakar. Zakar means to remember, to uh, call to mind. And we're going to come back to the word truah. Truah is a very important word regarding the first day of the seventh month. We're going to skip over it for right now. Stick with me, though. Where it says it is a nikra kodesh, 18 times in the Hebrew Bible, the phrase nikra kodesh uh, shows up. All 18 are in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It's never mentioned in Genesis, never mentioned in Deuteronomy, and it never appears outside of the Pentateuch. So the rest of the Bible never mentions Mikra Kodesh, which is interesting to me. All of these occurrences, again, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, have to do with, they're associated with the festivals, the Mikra Kodesh, what, what are called holy. Now, outside of this tight, tight window, these 18 times all referring to uh, the festivals and only referring to the festivals inside the Pentateuch. Now, our translation, the NASB, is not so different than other English translations. Uh, it, it refers to this day as a day for blowing of trumpets. Now, I know some of you probably saw the beautiful thumbnail and the, uh, the GIF file. Is it GIF? GIF? You know, the fancy file that Seth made us with the blowing of the trumpets. Um, 
it is often called, the first day of the seventh month is often called the Feast of Trumpets or the Festival of Trumpets. And some might say, yeah, Christians or Hebrew roots kind of people refer to it as that. But there's reason for that. It's not a bad title for the day. I mean, it's not biblical, but it's not uh, it's never called the Feast of Trumpets. It's never called the Festival of Trumpets in the Bible. Uh, but, in fact, in Leviticus 23, verse 23 through 25, that small section that is included in within white spaces where it talks about this particular day, first day of the seventh month, it, uh, it, it says in the English blowing of trumpets, but trumpet never appears. In fact, a lot of English translations will show uh, that the word trumpet is in italics. So, you know, what do you do with that? Some translations say blast instead of a blowing of a trumpet, blast. Huh. And then it says, you are not to do any service work. Or how does this translation put it? You're not to do any, uh, let me get this back to where I want to look at it. You are not to do any laborious work, okay? Well, I wonder what laborious work is because a lot of people are saying, okay, so I can't, it's a Sabbath, it's a Shabbaton. What, what does that mean? What kind of work? How do you define work? We're going to get into that. I found something this week that I think is quite interesting. I've read this, can't tell you how many dozens and dozens and dozens of times and never really notice something that I see this time. But whatever service work or laborious work is, I've dug into that. But we're not going to look at that yet. We're going to come back and catch that in a minute. The final phrase I want to touch on in Leviticus 23 uh, in the Hebrew is, V'hikravtim ishel Adonai. It means something like, cause yourself to approach a fire for or to Jehovah, obviously has something to do with sacrifices, right? So you're going to cause yourself to go near the fire uh, for these sacrifices. And by the way, that particular phrase uh, only occurs in Leviticus and only in Leviticus 23. Now, why am I bringing those kind of things up? I find it interesting that in the 929 chapters of the Bible covering thousands of years, when you would think these things are going on all the time, it's like all the way through, uh, but these phrases are very specific, very isolated, so uh, it causes me to wonder why that is. Again, 23, chapter 23 of Leviticus, verses 23 through 25, set off by white spaces, is one of only two texts in the Pentateuch dealing with the first day of the seventh month. And that leaves me with questions. What does it mean when it says it is to be a memorial, a zikron trua? Zikron. What is zikron? What is it? Well, something to do with reminder, memorial. What is a mikra kodesh? It means something to do with uh, something that's called holy, a holy calling. You know, some people say, well, I think it actually means a call to this festival. You know, it's referring. We're going to get into a text in a few moments that will make sense of that. It's like, 
You're going to notify people to come to this. You're inviting them to what the priestly literature refers to as the mo'adim, the appointed times. And uh, but but we need to look at that. And if it says not to do any service work or laborious work, what kind of work is that? Does it exclude all work? What if your animal falls in a ditch? Oh, sorry, catch you on Sunday morning there. What 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 exactly? It can you pick grain? Can you feed your animals? Can you milk your cows? I mean, what what is laborious work? Is it any work? I mean, this is the way it's typically thought of. And then um, you're to draw near to this fire. Okay, now we're going to look at the next passage that deals with the first day of the seventh month, and that's in the book of Numbers 29, Numbers chapter 29 and beginning in verse 1. Numbers 29, I'm going to read 1 through 6. Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, there it is. That's the exact same phrase used in Leviticus 23. In fact, there is a lot of overlap between Leviticus 23 principally and Numbers 28 and 29. A lot of language similarities found only in those two places. All right, now in the seventh month, first day of the month, you shall have a holy assembly, a mikra kodesh is the way the Hebrew reads, You shall do no laborious work. It shall be to you a day for blowing trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect. Also, their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for bull, two-tenths for the ram, a tenth for each of the seven lambs, and one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering and the continual burnt offerings and its grain offering and their drink offerings, according to their ordinance, for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to Jehovah. Okay. Again, same exact phrase for the dating of what Numbers chapter 29, verse 1 through 6, describes as... Uh, everything we know about the first day of the seventh month. Same exact phrase. Basically, on the first day of the seventh month, uh, but I mean exactly the same in the Hebrew. Uh, it also calls this day a mikra kodesh. It also, like Leviticus 23, says not to do any of that laborious or service work, whatever that is, and it, it's a day of truah, a day of truah. The English said a day for blowing trumpets. So like you, if that's really what it is, you shouldn't even be listening to me. You should be blowing a trumpet, right? It's a day to blow trumpets. Um, uh, but is that what it means? Well, well, we'll look at it. But it has something to do, whatever truah means, okay? It's a day for truah. And then again, you have offerings. So if you put together a chart, Leviticus 23, 23 through 25, and Numbers 29, 1 through 6 would have a lot of overlap, a lot of uh, very similar language. And that makes sense because Leviticus 23 is expounded using the same language, same priestly style language in 29. It just expands because it goes into a lot more detail on the sacrifice. 
Okay, so what is laborious work? Because whatever that is, you, you can't do that. Like, none of you should, some of you might, but you shouldn't, none of you should be doing that list of sacrifices I just read. You know, if you say, well, I want to keep it by the book. I'm going to go do all of these offerings. Um, you know, you can't. You can't. Biblically, you're not allowed to do that, uh, at least following the priestly literature. Uh, but so you, you might be tempted to go blow a trumpet all day. Maybe that's what you should do, but we'll get to that. But what, whatever you do, you don't want to do any laborious work. In Hebrew, the phrase is melechet avodat, melechet avodat. So I was curious. It's something I, and some, most of you probably know this, but I never really said, what is melechet avodat? What is laborious work? Or what is, now, I'm not saying that I've never studied what does work mean in regards to the Sabbath, but that's not what this is. You're going to see there is a difference. When I talk about what it says about work and the Sabbath, it's not this language. This is not used for Shabbat. You probably knew that, though. Melechet Avodat appears in the text of the Hebrew Bible 18 times. 18 times. This is going to be good for trivia night. Uh, you know, you're going to know things because of this class tonight that, that you just didn't know before. 18 times in the Tanakh, the first mention, I want you to go with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 36. Exodus 36, I'm going to read verse 1 and 3. Exodus 36, we're going to read uh, verse 1. In fact, I might even read 1 through 3. Here we go. Now, Betzalel, Aholiav, and every skillful person in whom the Lord has put skill and understanding to know how to perform all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with everything that the Lord has commanded. Okay? Now, this particular phrase says that... that well, let me, let me uh, keep going. Then, verse 2... Then Moses called Bezalel Aholiab and every skillful person in whom the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to the work to perform it. And they received from Moses every contribution which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continued bringing to him voluntary offerings every morning. Okay, in, this, in these two texts where it talks about this skillful work that uh, is part of, it deals with the sanctuary, and it's Aholiav, uh, it's, it's these skilled craftsmen, Betzalel and Aholiav, and those who have very specific God-given talents. Like their heart is stirred, their spirit is, they are filled with the spirit is what the priestly writer tells us. It's a specific kind of work. And, and that, kind of work, Exodus 36, verse 1 and 3, that's where it's, it's different. It's, it's different because uh, it has to do with the sanctuary, with the making of the things, the holy items for the sanctuary, okay? Now, this phrase appears 18 times in the Tanakh. Get ready for this. The first two set the tone. 
That's a little holy of work at the temple. It has to do with making things for the holy place. Leviticus 23, you can write these in your notes. I'm not going to read them. Verse 7, verse 8, verse 21, verse 25, verse 35, verse 36. All, all of those passages forbid the melechet avodat, which is defined in Exodus 36, 1 and 3 as work related to the sanctuary. It occurs in Numbers 28 and 29 in the following. 28, 18, 28, 25, 28, 26, 29, 1, 29, 12, 29, 35. All of those in Leviticus and Numbers, all of those use the phrase meleket avodat. It's forbidden. What's forbidden? The type of work which is defined in Exodus 36, verse 1 and verse 3. <clears throat> now, there are four other times that the phrase meleket avodat occurs in all the Hebrew Bible. 929 chapters. And all of the remaining four deal with priest in Beit Yehovah. It is work associated in the sanctuary with the sanctuary. Now, I had not noticed this before, but... All 18, by the way, for your notes, here they are uh, in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 9, 13, 1 Chronicles 28, 13, 1 Chronicles 28, 20, and 2 Chronicles 24, 12, all have meleket avodat, service work. In fact, I like that translation better. It's not any kind of work. It's, what are you forbidden to do? Meleket avodat. It's, it's uh, service work associated with the sanctuary. In fact, in, again, uh, every one of the occurrences, just to make sure you caught this, in Chronicles, the other four, all four of those passages have the mention of priestly work in the Beit Yehovah, the house of the Lord. So this forbidden work is defined by Scripture. Now, some might say, well, I, I want to take it more broadly and, um, you know, whatever. I, I'm just telling you what Scripture says. How you define work is the age-old question. You know, people at one time, I find it interesting, how many of us have heard that the definition of work, the sages looked at 39 categories of work, and where do they get 39 verbs? It's associated with the tabernacle. So could it be that they thought the, the same thing, that it has to do with that kind of work associated with the sanctuary? Of course that's why. Now, let me show you the difference, just so you have it. Uh, go to Leviticus 23 <clears throat> and verse 3. Uh, I want to read Leviticus 23 and verse 3. Uh, I just have this in my notes because... This is, um, let me see if this is it. Hold on one second. Leviticus 23 and verse 3. Yeah, yeah, this is just something I thought of this morning. For six days, work may be done. Now, by the way, it doesn't say meleket avodat. 
it just talks about uh, work. But it's not service work. So for six days, work may be done, but on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. So again, the festivals, the thing that is forbidden, according to the text, is meleket avodat, service work, which tends to be associated with the sanctuary, and I find that to be quite interesting. <clears throat> so, a day of truah, a day of truah, in Numbers chapter 29, it is a memorial, a reminder of truah in Leviticus 23. So Numbers chapter 29 is a day of Truah, and in uh, Leviticus 23, it's a Zikron Truah. But what is a Truah? What is a Truah? This day, this memorial of Truah, those two passages, Leviticus 23, Numbers 29, that's it. We don't have anything else, nothing else to do, nothing else in the scripture that tells us, provides us any more clue. That's it. It's all we get. There's no more information on what we do to keep it. Do we dip apples in honey? Do we do a special service where we cast our sins in uh, as crackers on the water? Do we do, what do we do? Do we blast a trumpet? Uh, do we go into a synagogue or in a place of worship and, and blow a horn beginning today, leading up 10 days, the 10 days of awe? Is that what we do? What is it? And, and, and more importantly, does the Bible tell us or does it not? Anytime the Bible doesn't tell us something, that's when creative minds go to work. There is often a gap in what do we know, what do we not know. That is, anytime there's a gap, that gap gets filled. But it often gets filled with things that are not scriptural. Is there anything wrong with some of these things? I like apples. But what does it have to do with? Maybe nothing. So sacrifices are no more. And if you listen to what I've talked about on that subject, not sure they ever will be. No, ultimately, they will not be because God never intended those. Um, <clears throat> I don't think any of you could do Malekit Avodat if you tried because I think it's a specific kind of work. So perhaps memorializing this day by truah, whatever that means, is as close as we can get to keeping the day. The root word, the root word of truah is ruah, resh, vav, ayin. Resh, vav, ayin. In all of its forms, that occurs 69 times in the Hebrew Bible. I'm going to give you a few examples. Uh, the first one is the first occurrence. 
So I want you to look with me at Exodus 32. Exodus 32 and verse 17. Exodus 32 and verse 17. Because we want to get to know what what does this mean? What does Tuah mean? It says, Now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, the sound of war in the camp. But he said, it's not the sound of the cry of victory, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but I hear the sound of singing. Okay, that gives us a little bit of an idea. So what he says, Joshua says, he hears the voice of the people, Bareo. But Boreo, uh, Boreo, Boreo, and you have that same root, the resh and the ayin. This is a root to truah. It's part of that uh, resh vav ayin root. The voice of the people, Boreo, says to Moses, "A voice of war is in the camp." Then he defines it. It's not. It's not necessarily a cry of victory, because he's listening close. Like, you know, he's he's at a distance. It's not really the sound of defeat. It's almost like a jubilance is the way I would understand it. In fact, I'm going to make a point of that. So it could be, it could be either. It's not quite either. It's not necessarily, you know, rah, rah, yay, but it's not woe is me either. But it's, it's a jubilant cry. Now, I want you, it's a war cry, he calls it. I want you to look at uh, the next verses in Leviticus 25 and verse 9. Leviticus 25 and verse 9. <clears throat> it says, uh, you, shall, you shall then sound a ram's horn. You shall then sound a ram's horn. Abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all through your land. Now, literally in the Hebrew, it's you're to cause to pass, you're to cause to pass a shofar truah. Shofar truah. All right, so now, interestingly enough, here we read of a a shofar is a ram's horn. A shofar truah is a basically a cry of the shofar, the ram's horn. And, and you're going to cause that to pass through the land for a very specific purpose. This, this passage has to deal uh, in Leviticus chapter 25 with what is called uh, the yovel. You've heard in English we talk about a jubilee. Jubilee, and a jubilee, or the days of jubilee, the year of jubilee, uh, is is talking about the the announcement of liberation or freedom throughout the land, liberty, liberty throughout the land. Right, Leviticus chapter twenty five and nine. This this passage uh, made its way onto the Liberty Bell. Right, so this is a a powerful statement about. Uh, freedom, liber- liberty, and so forth. Uh, but it, again, so in Exodus 32, we had the voice of the people were creating a truah. 
a cruah, a jubilant cry. And here in Leviticus 25, we have a shofar truah, which is also associated with yovel, jubilation. Now go with me to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 10, and I'm going to read 1 through 10, Numbers 10. All right, and it says, uh, The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make for yourself two trumpets of silver. You shall make them of hammered work, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation, breaking the camp. Now, when both are blown, all the congregation shall meet you at the entrance of the tent of meeting. If only one is blown, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall meet you. And when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you sound an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. An alarm is to be sounded for them to break camp. And when convening the assembly, however, you shall blow the trumpets without sounding an alarm. The sons of Aaron, moreover, the priests shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. And when you go to war in your land against the enemy who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets so that you will be thought of, so that you will be thought of by the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Hmm. Also on the day of your joy and at your appointed feast and on the first day of your month, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. Can you imagine? I always think about when I read a passage like this, um, the the trouble that it must have been for Moses. You know, can you imagine? You know, and he's like, oh, no, 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 no. That was one blast. Where are you going? Well, I, th- I thought it was. You know, people are messing this up. You have to know if it's one blast, this happens. If it's two blasts, this happens. So it's it's probably pretty complicated. It's not like, I mean, I guess people had to make a cheat sheet so they knew. But you get used to it. But truah, the sound, by the way, trumpet is used in this particular text over and over. Two hammered. In, in the Hebrew, is the root word is hard. So it's like hardened silver, trumpets of hardened silver, uh, by the way, I have examples of all these in the after. I'm going to blow them all in the Zoom call. I'm not going to do it here. But uh, in the Zoom call, if you're there, I'm going to try those and, and ask you to try them if you have yours. But two hammered, hard silver trumpets. Truah here is used, something blown or blasted. Right? And In fact, I, actually, I do like the word alarm, to sound an alarm. I think that's, that's pretty good. It's used here, Numbers 10, 1 through 10, gives us reasons you would hear a trumpet truah to use to summon, to break the camp, to meet up, if you're calling for a meeting, uh, to set out, to assemble the assembly, and war. <clears throat> now note this, I want you to look back, we're going to read Numbers 10, 9 and 10 again. 9 and 10 again. And when you go to war in your land against the enemy who attacks you, 
You shall sound an alarm with the trumpets so that you will be thought of by the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Also on the day of your joy and at your appointed feast and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices, your peace offerings. They shall be as a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. In, in this, these two passages, we get an interesting overlap. We, we see the, the idea of being remembered. Zakar, Zikron, verse 10, where it says, On the day of your feast, they, the feast, shall be a reminder for a Zikron before your God. Ani Yehovah Elohechim. So he says uh, that the sacrifices, these festivals, will be uh, for a zikron. It's it's it can be read. You could say, well, it's so that you'll remember God. But it's it's actually the fe- by keeping these festivals, God remembers you. Is the way it reads. A truah, a truah, can be defined as the shouting of the people. A war cry, it's associated with yovel and jubilation, trumpets. We have <clears throat> the ability to make truah by shouting as people, making the noise of people with a uh, shofar, you know, the small shofar with a kudo. You could use the, you know, the other one. You could use the silver trumpet, all of which are associated not necessarily with uh, the seventh month, the first day of the month. and It's not directly tied. In other words, nowhere in the text does it say, on the first day of the seventh month, you shall blow either a hammered silver or a hardened silver or a ram's horn. We get that from connecting meanings. We get that by looking at what does it mean to uh, what is Trua mean? Trua is a noise. It's a day of noise. It's a memorial of noise, if you will. Now, the example, examples, I should say, example after example shows the same idea throughout Scripture. Again, 69 passages. I went through every one of those last night carefully again. I've worked on it all week. I've thought about it. I've looked at it. And and each of those brings in different aspects. But all, it's like all occurrences of truah fit into one of those buckets, either made by a crowd of people, as in shout, an alarm, shouting, uh, or with a device, either a ram's horn or a silver trumpet. That's how you, you have to make noise. Today is a noise-making day. Uh, interestingly, though, interestingly, we have no accounts whatsoever in the biblical literature. We have 929 chapters. From the time that we learn about the first day of the seventh month as a Yom Truah, a, a Zikron Truah. We never, ever, 
the rest of the Bible have any occurrence where that is done. I find that interesting. In fact, even when the seventh month and the first day is mentioned, and it is, there's nothing in there about Truah. Yom HaKippurim, once you leave the Pentateuch, no mention. Josephus doesn't mention Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Yom HaKippurim. We'll think about those things. Keep that in mind. Interesting. And now you know a little bit about Truah. Well, what does that do for us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at Psalm 89, Psalm 89, verse 16 or 15 in the English. <clears throat> blessed are the people, blessed are the people who know, this translation says, the joyful sound. Lord, they walk in the light of your face. But in Hebrew, it says, Ashrei ha'am yodei truah. Blessed are the people, the ones knowing truah. Jehovah, in your name, they rejoice all the day. And by your righteousness, they are exalted. Lord, they walk in the light of your face. So blessed are the people who know Truah. If you're with me right now, meet me in the Zoom. Meet me in the Zoom call. We're going to give some examples. I have a couple of different ways to make Truah. I have some silver trumpets, not the ones that Bezalel and Aholiab made. These are bought online very cheaply on Amazon but I also have a couple of different types of uh, horns that we're going to blow. And uh, you bring your horns, and uh, we'll see what we can do to make a little bit of noise. Shabbat Shalom, Shavua Tov. Have a happy Yom Truah, Zikron Truah. See me in the Zoom.